morning. I'll try it again with the microphone on. <laughs> Welcome to Family Life on this first day of 2023. Let's go ahead and stand up this morning. Yesterday, my sister said to me, she'd read this thing online that it was like supposed to be good luck for your year if you leave your Christmas tree up until like January 6th or something like that. We were joking about it. I'm like, well, I'm going to leave mine up just in case, you know, stupid. But I'm so thankful this morning. I was just thinking just how thankful that we don't have to rely on that kind of stuff to determine what our year is going to bring. We get to choose to just join with what heaven says over our year. And for me, I choose to believe that this is going to be my best year yet. And forgive me today, I just feel emotional. I don't know why, but I just, I'm just so in awe of God and just how much he loves us, how much he chooses us, how much he just moves things out of our path or puts things in our path, whatever he needs to do just to get us to say, hey, look at me. I'm your God and I love you and I'll care for you. And if you'll put your trust in me and you'll follow me, everything will go well with you. And it's just, I'm so thankful for that. I don't care how long I leave my tree up. I may leave it up till the sixth. Probably I won't because it gets on my nerves. But it doesn't matter because I choose to come in agreement with what God says over my year and over the year of this church body that this will be our, our best year yet. And I'm so thankful for that. So let's just worship the Lord this morning. Celebrate, just celebrate the goodness of our God and the goodness of what this year has to bring because of who our God is. So Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to start this year off in the house of the Lord with our brothers and sisters joined in unity. God, and just worshiping you. You're so faithful. You're so worthy. God, may we honor you this morning with our lips, with our hearts. God, just lay aside everything that would hinder us everything that would cause us distraction. We just lay it down and God, our eyes are on you. God, what else is there to look at? There's nothing else to look at because you're so good. You're so true and so faithful to us, God. And what can we say? But we love you. We honor you. We bless you. We thank you. God, we thank you. We just look to you, God, to bring forth whatever you have for us this year. God, may we just not resist. May we not buck against it, God. May we just fall in line. Fall in line with what you have for us. And we say, yes, Lord, we give you our yes on this first day of 2023. We give you our yes, God, for whatever you have for us this year. God, may it be, let it be, God, our best year yet. Thank you, Jesus.
don't we need him? We need him. We need him every day. We need his tenderness. I don't know about you, but I feel his tenderness today. Well, it's New Year's Day, and it is funny how we view that as such a big thing, but it was really just the difference between one second to the next. It seems like such a big mile marker, but it's just a short distance. And there are a lot of things that feel really far away. They feel like a really big deal. But maybe it's just the difference between this moment to the next. I was thinking about sometimes how, you know, it's different for everybody and maybe you're just having a really good time and things are going your way right now and this doesn't apply to you. But sometimes, you know, you're, you're doing everything you know to do in your marriage, uh, maybe you have a prodigal, in your finances, your, your ministry, you're doing everything you know to do. And it feels like you should be seeing the end of it by now. You should be seeing that result. Or, you know, it feels like you're not getting anywhere, but you should be, because you're doing what you know to do. You're doing all the right things. And it feels like there's this missing link. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody ever feel like that? Well, I was thinking about this sink that I had not working. And, you know, some of you know that I'll do my best to, I can do a little bit of electrical. I can do a little bit of this, just a little. Some of it's not as hard as you would think it is. So... We've got this new house, it needs some work, so I did some things to this sink and I'd never done plumbing before and it worked. I was like, wow, that was easy. Oh my goodness. And so then I go to the, the next bathroom and this is a little bit more complex. And I do a lot of things. I made a new sink top and I got this vessel sink and the lady at the store says, well, you need this one specific part when you have this kind of sink. Okay, I get it. So I put everything together and get it all, you know, and oh man, I have this part that I need that isn't working. That The faucet came with these, um, you know, those whatever. I don't even know what they're called, but I did it. And so I go to the store and they don't have what I need, the specific thing. I go to the next store. They don't have it. So I order it and I wait for it. And I, you know, you have this expectation. Now I have what I need and this should work. And so I put it on and hook everything all up and, you know, turn on the water. I mean, you do all this stuff, you know, it takes a lot of time. This is days, weeks. I hook it all up and I turn on the water and I reach under there. I can feel a little bit of water coming through. Well, what did I do? And I've watched the YouTube videos, you know, I've asked people. Okay, I used the plumber's putty. This time, I'll use the silicone stuff. So I get that, and, you know, 
I'm so confident this time that I even seal the sink down to the wood with silicone. Well, it was leaking from underneath. I had to cut it off. I mean, like, just like, oh my goodness, you know. So I get a different part, put it on. Still leaking. So then I go back to the store and I'm thinking, well, maybe if I, maybe it's this. And it just so happens there's this little God wink and this couple, this older couple is in the aisle and, and somehow we're talking and I start telling them about my issue and, and um, this guy has been a plumber, he was a plumber for 30 years, his wife said, he was retired. So he tells me, this is what you need to do. Oh, thank you, Lord, you know. So I go and I do it and guess what? It didn't work. It was still leaking. And at this point, I'm just weary with it. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've done everything I know to do, and it didn't work. I'm just weary with it. So what did I do? I gave up. I just gave up. I said, forget it. We'll just have this bathroom without a sink. Maybe someday I'll be able to afford a plumber, somebody that knows what they're doing, because I don't. I just gave up. Weeks go by. And then Kent Jackson says, take a look at it. Let me come over and take a look at it. Now, I did not know that literally all he would have to do is look at it. We turn on the water. It's not leaking. I was this close. I can't even tell you what happened. Maybe it just needed a little time. That plumber's buddy to set. I don't know. I was this close and I gave up. The enemy will make you think that you're not getting anywhere. He'll make you think it's just all a wash. He'll get you paralyzed with uncertainty. There was a point when I thought, I just questioned everything I did. Oh, it's because I tried to build this top myself. Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? I, I'm way over my head. I started to question everything that I had done up until that point. Just thought it was totally screwed up. And I was just this close. And I think that's what we're doing. Sometimes we feel like we're not getting anywhere. But look how far you've come. Look at where you've been. And look at where you are now. Isn't it a long way? Look how far you've come. Okay? I feel like God's saying, you can do this. You can. It's not that far out of reach. You know how I know? Because this isn't some YouTube video. This is God's word. You have his word on it. This will work. Just don't give up. Okay? I love you guys. I really do. I love all you guys. We can do this. Just keep going. All right, I'm going to pray. 
thank you for your tenderness when we feel like you're our only friend. Thank you for not leaving us out there on our own. Thank you that you're always working for our good and that this is going to be the best year yet. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Katrina. That was a very right now word. Right now word for God's church in this time and this season. And uh, thank you for letting him speak that to you and through you. And I just want to add to it a little bit of clarity. I don't want to look at anyone else's plumbing. <laughs> just I felt like, oh, what are you saying? What are you why are you saying this? It was a good message. Bad advertisement. No, very good. No. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> um, I mean, it's just amazing how God works, and He confirms stuff, you know, when you're when you're worshiping Him, and He speaks to us, you know, and it goes right right along with what Katrina was saying, you know. Pastor, did you know you would have such an impact of going and and looking at a sink. I wish they were all. <laughs> I mean, you looked at it. You, you looked at it. You took your time and you looked at it. And it impacted the situation of, in the natural. Okay? But spiritually, it did so much more. We are a family and we are a body and we are a house. We all play a key part. The Lord was revealing some days we can be a key to somebody's life. Some days we can be a door to, to stop the enemy from coming into somebody's life. You can be that. But you've got to see yourself as this spiritual house. You've got to see yourself that way. See, my brother drives some nails to keep a, 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 a strip into place so it wouldn't snag on somebody's... Uh, Sweater. Tiny fraction. Didn't mean much, right? Didn't mean much. You know what it took to, to do that? I went downstairs. Didn't have a key to the door. Had my sister Ange. She went and told Brian. Brian comes down. Unlocks the door. I was able to go in and get a... It wasn't even a hammer. But we'll use anything around here for the glory of God, right? Right? And it was nailed in. Job done. What did it take? It took us all to listen and obey because we, want, we wanted that nail in that door so it wouldn't snag somebody. The Word of God's simple, but it's so powerful and so dead on and so confirming. 
and so revealing if we just open up and let Him be God in our life. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. And I'm so glad to be a part of His body and this body. He uses us. Don't He, Sam? It's so beautiful. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's interesting, too. I never even knew about that. I never knew that was going on. And, and I think that, you know, just sometimes we don't know all the good that is happening. And we don't know all of the cohesiveness and, and the workings that God is, uh, you know, busy doing. And, and, uh, and that's good, man. That's really good. Alfred, brother, thank you. Thank you for that. So we have a guy with carpentry skills available for anybody that. <laughs> and that plumbing guy is on, in retirement, so. But carpentry, mechanical, could lift transmissions and do whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we'll go ahead and dismiss the, the children. And uh, Holly, Katrina, thank you guys. Thank you guys for ministering to them kiddos. There's some crowns down there. We're gonna next time we see them, they're gonna be kings and queens, princesses and princes. A couple of announcements, real quick. We have uh, um, this Thursday at 6 p.m. We have the uh, worship growth group um, at our house this Thursday, and it's just a time of basking in God's presence and uh, and just just spending time with Him. That's that's really what it consists of. And then uh, we just you know share any kind of words of encouragement that we might have. And uh, and that's that's coming up. So, um, oh man, Amanda, could you get me to my sermon? I'm sorry. I, oh look, I got there quick. Never mind. I need a new phone, probably. That's that's God. He's speaking. <laughs> you know, right when like this month? Nope. Yesterday, last month, this phone was paid off. So, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 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 The battery will start draining quick and all that. Um, I have a couple of other announcements before I get into the message. Um, there's going to be a Bible study over at Grace Community Church. It's going to be on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. That'll begin this week, and uh, child care is provided. The focus of that study is to just basically read through the Bible. Um, they will have chronological Bibles that you read through for the whole year, and, I mean, it gives you the date. And if you start, you know, like at the beginning of the year, and you can get caught up with it, and I could even give you the reading for that if you like to have it. But uh, they have Bibles there at Grace. They're only $15. If you are interested in doing that, I would strongly encourage you. And I've actually, I, I'd encourage you to be interested in it. And I would encourage you to uh, read through the Bible, and uh, whether you go to that study there or not. But, uh, but those Bibles are available for, f- for $15. And uh, if, if that's an obstacle for anyone, we would pay for it and cover it if you would sign your name in blood that you will read through the Bible this, this year. Um, also, there will be another Bible study over at Kip and Katrina's, and that's going to be every other Wednesday night at 5 o'clock. And, uh, and that's going to begin January 11th. I'm, I'm filtering if I'm saying it right or not. It's going to be focused on diving into a deep study uh, beginning in the book of Genesis. Really, that's going to be the emphasis. It might be that Genesis is the only book of the Bible that that study ever goes through for the whole year. 
Um, so just a deep dive, and what a good book to dive into because it is one book that certainly gets attacked quite a bit because if creation could be dismantled, um, that's, that's a definite strategy of the enemy. Um, also, before I get into the message, I want to give a, a quick testimony of the shelter. There was a um, little boy. How old is Michael? Four? Three? He's two, maybe. Four? He's four? Well, for the sake of the story, he's two. And uh, no, he's four years old, I guess. Four years old. I have in the mouth of two, three witnesses here. Um, four-year-old boy. He, uh, what? Okay, this little boy that's between two and 20. Um, he is, he was, he was sleeping the other night, as we do. And he had this dream. He had a dream that somebody had uh, donated to the shelter, donated money to the shelter and and uh and so they wake up and uh you know he tells about that dream to uh to to luther and brenda and then uh and then within 10 minutes they get a phone call from somebody a doctor in town who wanted to donate to the shelter not just donate but also to support they want they want their church that they attend to support it in a, in a consistent way and i was like what get that boy some nyquil man like, I want to, yeah, get you speaking, to, ah, that's the word, that's the word there. What else? What else you got, Michael? Um, <laughs> don't give kids NyQuil, I guess, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm not medical, don't, either way, I wouldn't do it. You do you, I'm not going to do it. But I, that was really cool, though, um, just that, you know, God's provision and God's, uh, you know, just his, his sustaining the work that he's called us to is just absolutely undeniable and from from a little boy that would have a dream that god would show him and and it's just his hand is in it from from a couple of bottles of shampoo to uh you know uh, donations that are thousands of thousands of dollars and you know we know that it will take uh, quite a bit but man i'm telling you that god's provision he said he would provide everything we need along the way we just we just closed on the financing at the bank and um, just uh, this, this past week, I believe, and, and Julie made a comment to the uh, loan officer, and he said to her, she said to her, she said, you know, I, I know that nobody in their right mind would do this. It would have to be God. And we, all, we acknowledge that God is in it. And the banker with tears in her eyes, she's like, yeah. And just, I mean, just you, kill your doubt, sit back and watch God. And certainly don't speak your doubt. We don't need any of the ten spies speech. Be the two that believes. God is faithful and He has called us to this and He will provide everything we need along the way. I want to get into this message. Um, this message is very uh, creatively titled, The Book. It's about this book, the Bible. And uh, I want to get into um, just, just really this and wherever this goes. I know that I wanted to start off Continually talking, continued con, with continuing to talk about um, a series on families, and I believe that we'll come back to that. Whether we come back to that next week or um, next month or whenever that would be, that is that is on the chopping block. But uh, but this is one I really feel that God is 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 setting this up to be shared today, and um, and and I, I believe this is a foundational teaching, a foundational teaching. A couple of things I want to say at the uh, beginning of this. Um, I'm probably going to speak in some ways that's kind of passionate, and there's different variables that contribute to that. But, 
probably I, 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 one for sure, I feel like this is probably the most important message that I could share ever. Ever. Because there are weak There's a weakness that is carried in the body of Christ that could be solved, could be remedied simply by opening the pages of this book. And not just to solve a little answer here or there like, well, who... who who, who was? Who, how many people did go on the boat? You know, it's, it's not just the trivia stuff. It's the sustaining Word of God for our lives that will carry us through. And so, common questions or misunderstandings of the Bible, I want to address some of those today. So basically, why I, I believe in the, the Bible. Why, why should we believe? Some of this information, this is... Um, uh, probably the most work I've put into a message recently in the last 10 years. Now, recently, really, seriously. And so I'm going to try to get through it quick and uh, listen fast. And uh, man, look, that'll be established in you. So why do we believe the Bible? There's five common reasons people don't believe in the Bible. And uh, for those that are taking notes and those doing so on the bulletins, this is not on there, so don't get too confused. And I have a correction to make to those outlines as well once we get to it. But uh, five common reasons people don't believe in the Bible. Five common. Number one, filled with contradictions. The Bible's just full of contradictions. It's just so full of contradictions. That's one. Number two, it's too old to be relevant. It's not scientific. People say that sometimes. Number three, I have my own truth. People will tout that I have my own truth and, and, uh, and truth is what I think it is. Wrong, wrong. Number four, it's written by man. This just makes me mad going through this list. It does, man. Just a bunch of stories. That's number five. It's just a bunch of stories. You, know, you have Noah, you have Jonah, you have David and Goliath, and, and it's just a bunch of stories. That's all it is. How many have heard these before? One or more of these. How many of you have heard of these before? And, and, and what's sad is that not one is true. Not one of these claims is true. Not even close to true. Yet people speak it as if it is in their ignorance they believe it probably because they were simply told, not because they searched it out. The, rea- reality, the, the reliability and the truth of Scripture, probably one of the most fundamental beliefs that we can embrace to the foundation of our Christianity. There is nothing else that can so solidify our stance and our faith in Christ like the Word of God. Some would argue that it's actually the most important and everything, you know, the scriptures are the they are the ultimate authority in our lives. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. You mean to tell me you had seven goosebumps when you thought you've heard from God? Oh well that definitely trumps the word of God. Well no. It's God's word. At the end of the day, it's not what you think, it's not how you feel, it's not what I think or even say. On a certain topic, it just comes down to this one simple thing. What does God's Word have to say about it? That's it. 
That's it. And so it's very important that we understand how reliable Scripture really is. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. The Word of God stands forever. Yeah, things come, they go, cultures shift. God's Word stands forever. People change their minds. God's Word stands forever. Culture, people, society may love something one moment and then hate it the next, but God's Word doesn't change. It stands forever. And so two kinds of evidence that I want to dive into, and I'm going to get into a third one following these, but two kind that kind of complement each other. First, external evidence. External evidence. We look to external evidence, not because we think that that is the trump card, but simply because there are people that would say, well, if you prove that the Bible is really the Bible from the Bible, what would they call that? Well, you can't. That's like you're saying you're right just because you're right. You're, you're saying that you are right because you say you're right. It's circular reasoning. It doesn't, it doesn't really hold a lot of water with people. And so there's external evidence. Then number two, there's internal evidence. What does the Bible say about the Bible? We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, external evidence. External evidence. This first point is this, and I want to make a correction on the outlines. It's preeminence among literature. Preeminence simply means it's first, foremost, highest. It's highly regarded among other writings, whatever those writings would be. Highly regarded, much more highly regarded than Cat in the Hat and, and, and other more important works. But, uh, but in your outline, I believe it says it's preeminent or preeminence, and that's, that, that first point should be among literature. So you're taking notes. I apologize for the mess up. I wish I could blame it on Julie. It would be so good right now. She's not in the room. I could get away with it, but I can't. That's a lie. I, I messed up on that. And so it's preeminence among literature, um, and, and that just means it's the highest, most high, highly regarded um, among literature, among, among other books, other writings. And so, three categories under this. Number one, preeminent in its circulation. Preeminent in its circulation. The Bible is so widely circulated. According to Lifeway Research, in 2000, just 23 years ago, isn't that crazy? 23 years ago now? In in the year 2000, so long ago, 54 million Bibles were printed in that year. 54 million what? This past year, 90 million Bibles have been printed. They project that in 2025, they will need over 100 million Bibles printed to keep up with the demand. Preeminent in its circulation. There is no book that's close to this. Not even close. No close second. Annually, the Gideons distribute more than 45 million copies of Scripture. 45 million each year. That's roughly one million copies of God's Word given out every eight days or 86 per minute. 60 seconds, 86 Bibles have been handed out annually by the Gideons. And that's just the Gideons. Over six billion copies of God's Word have been printed. And that's not to mention the downloads on Bible apps. How many people have an app on their phone that has the Bible? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you go to a Version Bible app, that's one of them, the most popular, but it's only one of them. It says that there have been downloaded on more than half a 
billion unique devices, billion with a B, a half a billion downloads on unique devices with that one app, that one Bible app, and there are a lot of other Bible apps. It's been downloaded more. It's been circulated through printing. The Bible has no close second in this as well. It's the most well-known. It it, it contributes to society the most well-known phrases that get repeated and used by people, whether they realize it or not. All things to all men. The Bible, the blind leading the blind. Can a leper change its spots? A fly in the ointment, the writing on the wall, these sayings that originate from Scripture that people say all over the world, not even knowing. They're actually quoting Scripture. Phrases that people use all the time. This one, I like this one. The Bible is the most shoplifted book in all the world. (laughs) You know, that's right. You better hold on to your Bible. You're a church, but still, there's people, you know... Anybody ever lost a Bible at church? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. People, man. Thieves! Latch on to it. The most shoplifted book in all the world. That's good, good. Maybe they'll read it and get saved. The availability of God's Word throughout the world. This is another uh, a, a point in this. Portions of Scripture are available in 2,500 of the world's 7,000 languages which doesn't give credit to the fact that 90% of the earth's population has the Bible in their own language. So what that means is the remaining 3,500 languages represent about 10% of the world's population. And that number is declining because God's word is going forth. It is going forth. When compared to other world religions, they only have at most 10, maybe the highest would be 20% circulation among the world's population. So not a close second, not even close. It's preeminent in its circulation. Number two, preeminent in its influence. Preeminent in its influence. There are more books written about the Bible, more books that quote the Bible, more that assist in studying the Bible than all other religious literature combined. You can add them all up. It doesn't come close. Think of all the books written that fall into this category. Bible dictionaries, uh, Bible encyclopedias, uh, lexicons, Um, You you have atlases, geographies, also books on theology, religious education, hymnology, missions, biblical languages, church history, religious biography, devotionals. We know about them devotionals. Daily breads, there's about five billion of those. (laughs) And they're good too. Commentaries, philosophy of religion, evidences, apologetics, the list could go on. It could go on. It could go on and on and on. I, I had been blessed some years ago, I, with my Bible study software that I use, is called Logos. Some people call it Logos, and they're wrong. But no, there's a real debate. Even the people that work there, they, they argue over it. Well, they disagree over it. So I had this, this the Bible study software and uh, basically got this download that was a download that was for free. And I've kind of shared the story before, but it was thousands and thousands of books that I got downloaded for free because somebody made a $40,000 mistake that used to work at Logos. I'm sure they don't work there now. (laughs) They never said that, but they never said they were still employed either. And I felt like the language was very leading in thought. Um, Thousands. On 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 my phone, on my iPad, I have thousands of books. Thousands and thousands of books that simply assist in studying the Bible. And that's not to include what's online. Because you could get so many resources available online for free. 
So preeminent in its influence, certainly. There's no argument there. Number three, preeminent among other religious writings. We kind of looked at the Bible, but what about other religious books? This professor, Montero Williams, who studied Eastern books for over 40 years of his life, he basically spent his life doing this, comparing the Eastern books, religious writings to the Bible, and he said this. He said, pile them up, if you will, on the left side of your study table, but place your own Bible on the right side all by itself. All alone. God, your word. All alone and with it a wide gap between them, for there is a great gulf between it and and, in the so-called sacred books of the East, which severs the one from the other so utterly and hopelessly and forever that a veritable gulf which cannot be bridged over by any science or religious thought exists. The Bible stands alone in the solitude of itself. Spent his life, and that was the, the crowning statement that he discovered 40 years of his life to say that. It's one category of the evidence of the Bible is true. It's preeminent among literature. Preeminent among literature. And even though this alone would likely not prove to you or anyone else that the Bible is God's Word, it certainly points to the fact that it's at least worth our attention. The dough head that walks through life. And everybody's captivated by this book. Like, I don't know if I have time for that. Doesn't it say that you can smoke weed in there? I don't know. How about you open it and check it out? The whole world captivated, satisfying, the most brilliant of minds. And people just walk through haphazardly or we just allow dust to collect on it and not to speak condemnation because it's not. It's an invitation and I hope that I really spur us on to really dive into God's Word this year like no other. A person would be a fool not to take the time to give serious attention to this book. It shaped humanity. And it boasts, inside this book, it boasts that it's not just a historical record, but it's actually boasts in itself that it is the Word of God. The Bible is preeminent among literature. Number two, under this External evidence preserved against attack. Uh, This is undeniable. Undeniable. Nobody would even argue against this. The Bible has survived the most all-out assaults, attacks like no other book. A lot of attempts, many attempts to destroy it. And that's evidence. It's evidence. There's this irrational hate of the Bible. I don't even need to talk. This doesn't even need to be a point. This irrational hatred. You just, hey, carry this thing around. Carry it around. And if people don't notice, then carry a family Bible around. You'd be kind of carrying that thing on. And and you'll you'll pick up on it, man. I don't even need to speak about this. This irrational hatred where people just like, oh, what are you doing with that book? Or people that say, oh, well, you just... You, you, you tell them not what the Bible says. Well, I don't care what the Bible says. Why? Why? Why is there such a hatred for God's Word among those who are perishing and those who don't yet, quite yet see, yet see? You don't see that kind of hatred with the Quran. You don't. You don't see that kind of hatred with the Book of Mormon. You don't. And Satan doesn't leverage attack or opposition against books that are not a threat to him. He just doesn't. And so, under this two thoughts, 
It's preserved against attack. One attack is the attack of man. No other book has been burned or banned or outlawed as much as the Bible. Nothing close. Missionaries that we supported who smuggle Bibles, even this day, they smuggle Bibles into territories where the Bible is forbidden, it's outlawed, and if you get caught with it, in some places it could cost you your very life. Here's an interesting thing stumbled upon. Voltaire. Voltaire, a French writer, an activist, he wrote during the Enlightenment against the Bible as God's Word, and he ridiculed it publicly. He, he would just make these statements of, against God's Word and, and ridicule Christianity in general. And this was done in a day when the evidences of the Bible weren't so readily available. Like now you could just get online and look. You could find so much. You could search and find so much that is there that's proof, you know. And, uh, and, and, and those discoveries had not yet been made. But he said this. He said this during the Enlightenment. He said that 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history. Yeah, Voltaire who? <laughs> who? What ended up happening is Voltaire passed and the circulation of the Bible increased. In fact, this is so good. Fifty years after Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society bought his home and used the press, the very press that he used to use to, to print his critiques against Christianity. They used that very press in his very home to print stacks and stacks of Bibles that were passed out and circulated. And there, Voltaire who? What happened to him? I bet not many here would even know who that is. Not much of a contribution he made with his life. But so vocal and so foolish about the Bible. And yet he faded like the flower, but God's Word stands forever. So preeminent among literature. Preserved against attack. Preserved against the attack of man. Number two, preserved against the attack of time. People say, well, how would you know that the Bible is... Is, is true to what was originally written. How would you even make that kind of a claim? How can we trust in the reliability of Scripture? Things change over time, right? Well, a lot could be said. But I just want to refer to a chart. I've used this chart before. And so just to highlight a couple of things on it. Basically, this chart shows... Let me come out here and see. This chart shows just like when a work was written the earliest copy that was discovered, because when it was written, that would be called an autograph. That would be an, like the original writing would be the autograph. And then a copy would be called a manuscript. The earliest manuscript that's been found is in the third column. And so the time span between when it was written and when it was found is in that second to last column. And then the number of copies of the manuscripts are in the last column. And so, so you see that there. See that there. What do you see? think the Bible's doing pretty good. It does pretty good. I mean, you wouldn't have very many people at all that question whether or not Plato ever existed. How many is on that? Plato? Oh, seven copies? Wow, yeah, that's a lot to stand on. Aristotle? Yeah, nobody questions Aristotle. How many copies? <laughs> Doesn't even come close to Scripture. 24,000 copies and the time span, 25 to 80 years, are you kidding me? 25 to 80 years? 
And, and yet there with like with Caesar, you have uh, 950 years between when the original writing was there and then the, the earliest copy that was found. And there's only 10 of those copies and people don't question, well, was Caesar, was he, was, did he exist? Was that a real person? Did Plato really exist? Did these other people with names I can't pronounce exist? In the New Testament, man. God's Word. God's Word. Here's the point. No one should be jammed up on the reliability of, of God's Word, the New Testament especially, but God's Word without absolutely tossing out all these others, and you would look like a fool for doing it because they don't come close to comparison. The Bible is incredibly reliable. Incredibly reliable. Then this one here, proof from archaeology. I love this one, man. I love that you could, I could, this could be a whole sermon. I could, this could be the whole year of sermons talking about the archaeological finds, you know, people that are just out digging in the dirt, making discoveries, and some of them aren't even digging in dirt. Some of them just throwing rocks in caves, finding evidences of God's word. I was picturing Ricky just walking out with his beeper stick. Beep, 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 beep. And archaeologists who have done similar things and they've just, and I don't know if they have beeper sticks, but they dig and they find stuff and they find these elevations and they start to kind of, um, you know, remove the dirt and see what's left. And man, they find some things. But what happens? What happens is, is our, our youth, they get sent to high school or college and they have instructors that are so unfamiliar with the Bible, yet so opinionated about the Bible. And they simply repeat things that they've been told, probably by their college professors, and it's generally not from an authentic search of God's word on its reliability. Not close to that. And many times, I don't know if there's even the, the realization that how much they're used as puppets. People repeat things. And, and just because a person's intelligent doesn't mean that what they're saying is true. There's a lot of smart, dumb people. They say things like, well, Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible. There's no way he could have written it. The, 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 the sacrificial system and the priesthood and all those details and intricacies, there's no way people in that day could have even understood or comprehended that kind of a system. They even make claims that Moses in his day, but back in that time frame, 1400 B.C., they didn't even know how to write. They didn't know how to write. And the youth, they, they hear lies like this, and they're lies, and they consider the alternative. Does this mean that I can go out and sin? Does that mean that the Bible is not really true? Oh, okay, I'm going to go out and sin. And just like that, their faith gets shot. Gets shot. You ever heard of the Ebla tablets? Anybody? Me neither. Not until this week. The Ebla tablets, since 1974, archaeologists have been digging and they found as many as 1,800 complete clay tablets, 4,700 fragments, and many thousands of minor chips that have been found. Here's the thing. Laws and customs, similar, very similar to the structure of what you read in the book of De Deuteronomy that Moses wrote. And here's the kicker. These tablets were found and dated 1,000 years before Moses ever thought about writing something down. Well, he couldn't have wrote that. He couldn't have wrote that. Shut up. Like, just stop it. Wait a minute. I thought people didn't even know how to write during Moses' day. Well, oops. In the face of being wrong, you don't see college professors going around and correcting their mistakes either. 
admitting that they're wrong. For years, college professors would claim that the Bible, and this is not just wrapped up to college professors, but them certainly, they would claim that the Bible wasn't true because of a group of people known and named in the Bible as the Hittites. Never existed. The Hittites, they never existed. There's no proof they existed. Therefore, they didn't exist. Therefore, the Bible is not true until archaeologists were over there digging around with their beeper sticks or not. And they discovered proof that the Hittites actually existed. Seen it written out in other archaeological finds. What do you, oops, oops, oops. You could go on, man, you could go on. I bet there are others that know of archaeological finds that could come up here and keep it going right now. Just do a Google search. I mean, it's all over. It is literally, it's all over. You could be on your phone or your tablet or computer for days looking at that stuff. So that's external evidence. Let's look at internal evidence. Internal evidence that the Bible is God's Word. Number one under that is amazing agreement. Amazing agreement. This is astounding. Imagine the different opinions that are existing in this room right here. The different opinions. Everybody's wrong. They're wrong. I'm right. You know, I think so-and-so should be the next president. And, da, 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 and I don't know about this war or that war and all this stuff. Differing opinions. Obviously, some things in common. Probably the most common thing right now is we're in purple chairs. That's maybe the most common thing. And I'm not either. I'm, I'm oddball out. But I mean, the, 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 the disagreement that you know exists between people, there are disagreements at, on, on, on length of service at any given church. Not ours. Everybody loves how long I preach. Disagreements on the length of service, the temperature of the room. Thank God for heat, right? The, the volume of the music, the preference for certain songs. Um, you know, uh, when I was a police officer, I remember going and, and arriving at these uh, domestic battery calls and you would speak to one individual that was involved and they would explain, you know, their story and then you'd go and talk to another person that was involved, get their story and it was like so many times you would see there's no way this person was here with this person or this person was here with this person according to their stories because they don't jive. There's no way in the world, no way in the world. Can I see that pin real quick? This, yes, perfect. This is not the only thing that contributes to it, but you see this pin has a clip, right? But now you don't. And if I was to ask you, hey, does this pin have a clip? You would say, yeah, it's your perspective. It's your perspective. So there's that. And then there's the other stuff that plays into it about what is, I'm just kidding. There's other stuff that plays into it. You know about the differences of what you might, might hear on opinions. You know, it's just maybe your angle, your view, your perspective, but then also like your philo philosophical thoughts, your, what you're filtering that through, what you believe before you arrive at what you say and your opinion. And my point is this, people disagree. And I feel like I spent too long on that to say something that we already know. Yeah, people disagree. We disagree. And we're so stinking good at it. Somebody might say, well, I don't think I agree with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. We disagree over big things, over little things. We disagree over all kinds of things. And here's, here's the point. We can disagree over so many things, yet when you look at the, the Bible, there's two big topics contained in Scripture that are just kind of like thematic throughout. Politics and religion. Politics and religion. 
You want to get people agreeing on those things? Yet the Bible was written by some 40 different authors, and they were different, very different. You had Isaiah, who was a prophet. Ezra was a priest. Matthew was a tax collector. John was a fisherman. Paul was a tent maker. Moses was a shepherd. Luke was a physician. They're very different. Forty different authors. Most who never met each other. Living across three different continents, by the way. Not even close to each other. My address is not close to yours. And it was written written over a time span of 1,500 years, yet without contradiction. There's an amazing agreement And the congruity in in Scripture, the message of the Bible, is the same. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? The amazing agreement in Scripture when you understand 40 different authors over 15 centuries. It's truly amazing. I don't agree with myself, something I would have wrote five years ago. And I'm, I'm serious. Like, I've changed my mind a lot. Things that become less important. All Scripture is truly God-breathed. It's God-breathed. So, another total, n- another uh, internal evidence, total consistency. Amazing agreement, but total consistency. Sort of in line with the previous point, but let's dive in a little deeper. Many people, many times, how many have you heard, how many times have you heard people say, well, the Bible is just so full of contradictions, it can't be true. Anybody ever heard that? The Bible contradicts itself. It contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, actually. Listen, this is what people say who don't know what they're thinking. What they, what, what they, if, they, if they knew what they were saying, they sure wouldn't say that. That is not one that they would... There's other angles that are better than that. This is kind of like softball pitching. It's not contradictions. You hear somebody say that, not in an argumentative way, but just ask them, where? Where? Can you give me an example? And not in a not in a smart aleck way, not in a way that's like <laughs> it's not. We're gonna be condescending about it. Just hey, would you please show me that, actually? And uh, and we'll look at that. We'll look at that together. And most of the time, they probably wouldn't come up with one. Most of the time, occasionally, you might have somebody that's put some thought into it. And if you don't know the answer, just tell them. Look, I'll I'll, I'll look at that. I'll I'll get back to you, and then and then do it. Because I believe the Bible. It's, it's, it's all the questions a person could come up with to not believe in the Bible is God's word, I believe, can be answered. I don't think there's anything in there that people are saying, oh, wow, that really tosses it all out. You know, the Bible has been so scrutinized and under a microscope for years and years and years. And there's 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 not those claims that people just falsely and haphazardly throw out. And it may or may not satisfy them if they're only wanting an excuse to dismiss the Bible and smoke weed. But if they're truly searching Help them find the answer. Help them find it. Absolutely no need to be on our heels about this. There's no need for us to be backed up into a corner and feel like, I don't want to ask them if they have any questions or, or I don't want to ask my own questions. Because believe me when I say this, whether, whether it's a, a question you have or somebody else has, Christianity is not made up of a group of brainwashed people that's afraid of the hard questions. Don't be afraid of the questions that people have or the questions that you have. I like this quote I heard this week. The truths of Christianity have satisfied the greatest minds in human history. Satisfied the greatest minds. That being said, let's look at some supposed contradictions because just to say it's not there doesn't make it, you know, like, let's look at them. Five categories of contradictions. Number one, 
contradictions of message. These are pretty easy. In the Old Testament, it says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But in the New Testament, it says turn the other cheek. Ah, see, it's wrong. It's wrong. Why do you have two books to say the wrong thing? It's easy. Just read it. Jesus actually says it. He says, you've heard it said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, turn the other cheek. That's not contradiction. The progression of how God has dealt with humanity nobody has to be taught eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You come out of the womb swinging. Uh, you, you come out. You don't have to teach our kids how to fight. They know that stuff. Or to like protect themselves and take up for themselves. And, and apart from God's grace at work in our lives, that's very natural for us to respond in those ways. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't bring contradiction. He just brings the rest of the message. It's not a contradiction. It's that God has to work with very slow learners. And the Old Testament wasn't put there because the New Testament wasn't needed. The Old Testament was put there so that we could understand we needed the New Covenant. And so does that make sense? Yeah, move on. Move on. We've got a potluck. Yeah. It's not a contradiction. It's just a completed message. Number two, contradiction of numbers. Here's another category. Contradiction of numbers. In Mark and Luke, the Bible talks about one blind man one blind man at Jericho that was healed. But in Matthew, it talks about two blind men that were healed in Jericho. You ever read that before? And thought, wait a minute, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Especially in those chronological Bibles, because they're really close to each other then. And you read that and it says, wait, wait a minute, that says one blind person was healed. But here it says it's two. What's up? What gives? Well, yeah, that's different, but it's not a contradiction. Matthew may have only mentioned one of them. He might have just been looking at the other side of the pen. It might have just mentioned one. Or maybe it's two different instances. But either way, it's not a contradiction. It's not something to stand on and tout. I found it. I found the mistake of the Bible. It's not a contradiction. If I told you yesterday that Julie spent time with her sister for the most part of the day, and then later on our girls were talking to you and said, yeah, you know, my daddy and my mommy, they spent time with with mommy's sister, you know, or, or is that a contradiction? It's not a contradiction. Julie did spend time with her, and I was there too. But it wasn't the highlight of my day, you know. <laughs> it was. It was so the highlight. I feel like I need to backpedal. It's not a contradiction. Because Shelly wouldn't share her chocolate cake with me. <laughs> I, you don't have a microphone right now. So <laughs> She will. Oh, so you're doing the altar? Oh, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> blessings, blessings. But we all do that, right? It's not an attempt to lie or contradict. It's just emphasizing a certain point or perspective. You see that a few places in the Bible where, you know, like you just, it's, it's not a contradiction. Now, I will say this, and this is what, you know, some people are like, oh, don't talk about that. No, you can talk about this. There are a few places in the Bible where there would be what's called copyist errors. Dang. <laughs> so we can't smoke weed, Pastor? <laughs> I'm on that one, aren't I? That's, you can test me. I'll pee in a cup. I'd, and if you need it, I'll sell you my pee. I, I got you. We're family. Yeah. <laughs> It's a shelter joke. It's a shelter joke. 
copyist errors. An example, some argue that the Bible is contradictory because of how many stalls of horses Solomon had. The argument comes from 1 Kings 4.26. says that Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses, but in 2 Chronicles 9.25, it says that Solomon had 4,000 stalls of horses. So did Solomon have 4,000 or 40,000 stalls of horses? There's a couple of reasonable explanations to this, but one that I think holds the most weight is that there was likely a copyist error in that. If they didn't carry the zero or whatever. It's probably the most likely explanation, truly. Now, there have been a handful, not thousands, not hundreds, but literally a handful of copyist errors similar to this that, listen, make no difference theology or doctrine doesn't get touched by it. Nobody's going to hell because Solomon's horses and how many were trying to figure out he had, right? Well, I don't know. I was just really close to giving my life to Jesus, but I just can't get over how many horses Solomon had. Nobody's tripping on that. Nobody's going to hell over that. Surely we can wrap our minds around that and not be shaken by those attacks. This, by the way, is why we point to the original writing of God's Word as the inerrant Word of God. That's what's inerrant and fallible. It's the, it's the original written Word, what we call the autographs. However, that being said, 99.9% is still true to the original writings. And this is what we contend for is inerrant. It's not the King James that we contend for. God help us. It's not the NIV, it's not the NLT, it's not the ESV. Those are just translations. We argue about which is best over that stuff is like letting Satan into your house and saying, let's chill. You know, each can have their strengths, but the important thing is that they certainly do contain the Word of God and they have an accuracy rating of 99.9% and higher. Supposed contradictions in message, supposed contradictions in numbers. Then number three contradictions in parallel stories parallel stories for example genesis 1 you may got you may dive into this over at kip and katrina's in genesis 1 it lays out the story of creation anybody ever read that before you read the story of creation then you get to chapter 2 you know god created the the, the world in six days and and and, and he he got on the sixth day, he, he creates all this stuff in the seventh day he rests and and all this stuff happens genesis 1 then you get to chapter 2 then God created man and all the details of how he created man and somebody would point out, well, that's a contradiction. That's a contradiction. It doesn't go in that, oh, there's a bug. I think she's telling, Leanne, I think there's a bug. It's probably a fly. It might be a wasp though. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, this could sound silly because basically what's happening here is you're seeing in chapter 1 the big picture laid out. Chapter 2, you're starting to get some of the finer details. Uh, duh, you know, like duh. Could sound silly to some, but I guarantee you that there are people that really leverage that one and attack Scripture. Especially in Genesis, they attack it. Another parallel story in Matthew 27 it says that Judas hung himself and this is probably one of the biggest ones this is probably one of the biggest contradictions that a person could could come up with Matthew 27 Judas he hung himself that's what it says but over in Acts 1 verse 18 it says that Judas was in a field and he fell headlong and burst open well that's a contradiction right that's two different ways to die right two different ways it's not the same well 
do a simple Google search of the Valley of Hinnom where, where Judas hung himself, you could clearly see what, what many scholars believe actually took place. You could even travel there to this day and see it. We should go. Field trip. Let's go to Israel. Anybody want to go? Let's go, man. But what you would see in the Valley of Hinnom are these trees that are next to cliffs with their branches hung over the edge. And they're steep cliffs. You could, do, you could do the Google search and find it. Scholars believe that Judas hung himself over one of these steep cliffs and the branch broke, causing him to fall and dash himself against the rocks, as the Scripture says. So one passage lays out how he died. The other one describes how he was found. It's not hard. It's just not hard. The truths of Scripture have certainly satisfied the minds of countless, countless people throughout history. But just think how many people have lost their faith because some slick lie like this. Some slick lie that's brought up about an issue like this in God's Word. Well, the Bible's not true. Moses didn't even know how to write. There's proof of that until there was proof. There's no proof of that until there was proof. And so contradictions of parallel stories. And then what about historical contradictions? There's so much that could be said about this. People have said for a long time, years and years, there's no place, like, there's, no, there's no such place as Jericho. Uh, they found it. There's no such person as David. They found inscriptions that prove it. He, yeah, he was a real person. He existed. King David. No such thing as the Exodus. Israel crossing over the Red Sea. That didn't happen. There's no way that happened. You know they actually found chariots, chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea? You could go and look at this online. There's, there's video of it. You could physically see it with your eyes. Yet people still to this day with their outdated lies will make claims. Well, that's not true. They didn't find that stuff. Just open your eyes and look. When people refuse to believe the evidences uh, that we lay out here, it's nothing more than arrogant insanity. Blindness. Romans 1, it describes people like this. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress it. They deny the truth, even though it smacks them upside the head. They suppress it in unrighteousness. So historical contradictions, then scientific contradictions, the supposed scientific contradictions. We could dive into this. Each of these could be a message in and of themselves, and, and, and maybe we will do that sometime in the future. But Joshua talks about the sun standing still in the Old Testament. You remember that story? Remember that? He talks about the sun standing still. I remember in, in, in my astronomy class in college, I, I wrote about that. I'm intrigued with astronomy. I just loved it. I wanted to be an astronaut until I didn't. I really never wanted to be an astronaut. Too, too busy wanting to be loved by someone. That's a lonely place up there. That's a loud sneeze, too. Just kidding. <laughs> That's okay, man. We're more than halfway through, but you just woke up half... No, it's good. Half of the people. There's no excuse now. Let's get them. I remember writing a paper on this in my astronomy class in college, and... and, and, and with my finite mind wrapped around it, for whatever that's worth... And what we were studying in astronomy, I don't think that God just made the sun stand still. I think he had to actually freeze the universe because everything is so precise. Everything is such to, 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 to the degree and at the angle and all this stuff. And I think that he actually stopped the whole universe for Joshua, which I think is awesome because what, what would he not do for us? He gave us his son, Jesus. I mean, what would he not do? And we could dive really deep into those things, what what it boils down to and the point I want to make today is just uh, 
There's this refusal to believe in the supernatural God who can do anything. And, and, and beside the fact that science actually helps prove Scripture in many ways, it does, more than not. That's not the point. The point, and that could be its own message, but the point is that we need to come to a place where we understand that there's a supernatural God that can defy science and it would do us good to submit to this because we may be bound by science, but God is not. How, how did Jesus even ascend? How did Jesus walk on water? How did Jesus, how do you give an account to people that are prayed for and they're healed? Did you know we have accounts, like reliable accounts of people being raised from the dead in our day? Do you know that? I've seen, I've seen like, in, in our church, I've seen medical records of incurable diseases healed. Medical report saying, you got it. Another one saying, we can't find it. <laughs> How do you account for that? Well, I don't know, but science can't explain it. So, you know, the, the, the go-to thing is, well, that didn't happen. That's not real. No, try to explain that stuff. I mean, you, you cannot fit God into a box that's convenient for our finite minds to understand. One of the girls quoted Julie this past week, and she's uh, well known, I guess, by them for saying, if we could understand God, then we'd be God. <laughs> How about that? You made it into a sermon, a quote. How about it? Another internal evidence, we look to fulfilled prophecy. And I'm about to wrap it up, but fulfilled prophecy. Psalm 72, verse 9 through 11. This is a prophecy that was a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ. It says, May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Mmm, that's good. That's boss, man. That's good. And the enemies lick the dust. Oh, that's not, I'm going to get tattooed. I, I found it now. That's my life verse. <laughs> May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. It's a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7:14 prophesied several hundred years before Christ. It says, therefore, the, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What? A virgin is going to conceive and have, give birth to a son? What? That, what? How does that make sense? It's a prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah also in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, For unto us, for to us, sorry, King James. Well, I just rolled out. That rolled off the tongue. King James, man. <laughs> I grew up on King James, man. That's, that's how I memorized it. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and, and, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from, the time, from the, that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Another prophecy, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Could you imagine whenever they put pen to paper and were like, what am I writing? What is this? A virgin's going to give birth? What? You know? You were from the, you, whose origins are from of old? What? Like you already born? You already existed? 
Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, there were more than 50 specific statements about him in writing, and more than that, well, more than that, but very specific things, 50 you could really point to, is very specific, and the critics recognize the power of these prophecies. So they, 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 they attack it, and they say, well, somebody must have went back and wrote that in. Somebody must have went back and just put that in there. And that was a good argument until it wasn't. In the 1940s, a shepherd boy, maybe a young man shepherd, was in the land of Israel, and as, 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 as boys do and as men do as well, just throwing rocks, throwing rocks, past the time, you know. They're just out there bored, watching their sheep do what sheep do, throwing rocks, throwing rocks into caves. And it happened, what happened is that he threw a rock into a cave and he heard a crash. Later on, he ended up climbing up and checking it out. What he found, because, you know, it wasn't the sound that a rock would make as it goes into a cave, these, these holes of these, these, these cave faces on this cliff. And what he found was one of the biggest faith-building discoveries regarding God's Word found in recent years, hands down. He discovered what we refer to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> the enormity of this find. Man, you can't... The enormity of it. It was an incredible find. They found scrolls of Isaiah, nearly complete, if not all the way complete. Scrolls of Isaiah dated back to hundreds of years before Christ. Dated back hundreds of years. There's no body that went and put the pen on the paper there. And there it was, the prophecies. Nothing had been altered. Nothing had been changed. Just as it was written. Oops. Oops. Well, maybe the prophecies are true. Heaven and earth will pass away and God says my word will never pass away. These prophecies give specific details to where Jesus was born, how Jesus was born, how He would live, how He would die. Joshua McDowell, he studies and writes all about this kind of stuff and he notes this, a quote from him. He says, there are 61 major prophecies concerning the life of Christ written 500 to 4,000 years before His birth considering just the eight major ones, considering just eight major ones of those 61, considering just the eight major ones, unbelieving scientists applying the measurement of statistical probability tell us the chances of just eight of these is one in 10 to the power of 17 or one in a trillion chances of fulfillment in one person. That's good luck. That's a lot of good luck right there. He goes on, he says, the birth of Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies is just a matter of chance is equivalent to covering the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars, marking one of them with a red dot, then inviting a blindfolded person to wade into the state of Texas and lay their hand on the single silver dollar thus marked. That's the statistical probability of these prophecies being fulfilled in the life of one person. And there are hundreds of prophecies that were made over thousands of years fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's certainly internal evidence that points to the reliability of Scripture as God's Word. How else would you explain it? How else would you explain it? And then there's one more category, and this is short for those that are thinking of the potluck. Number three, the experiential evidence. The experiential evidence.
on a personal level, the Bible has been, hands down, one of the most powerful tools that God has used for the sustainability of my faith in Him and how to live my life, how to carry my life, how to make decisions. And I've said it before, it's not about what you think. It's not about what, what, what I think. It's just what does God's Word say? What does God's Word say about it? Because this book, it's God's Word, and since God wrote it, we'd be fools to not dive into it, to read it, to apply it, and use it as our ultimate authority to live by. This is why, like, this is why, like, when people make the arguments that are just, like, convenient to the flesh, well, I don't believe in tithing. Did you read the Bible? Did you read it? Well, I don't know. It's just, I, I just kind of want to live with this person, and before I marry them, try it before I buy it, you know? And did you read the Bible? Did you read it? One quote I heard this week, I don't know the person's name. I just heard somebody else quote it and they didn't say the name. They said, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. This book will not only transform your life by renewing the renewing of your mind as you apply its truths to your life, but it will also serve as a guide to you when your marriage is falling apart, when your finances are always coming up short, when you have a strained friendship and you don't know what to do, when you don't know what to do as a parent, hello? It'll show you how to respond to your boss at work when he or she is being hard. It'll show you how to carry yourself when you're single and and help guide you into how to prepare yourself for marriage. It'll confirm to you that you're on the right track. One of the main ways God speaks to us is through His Word. Why would we forfeit such an invitation to better hear His voice? Because you might might have had a God dream. You might have had a feeling that you've heard from God because of goosebumps or Impressions, your thoughts that in, entered your mind, if it doesn't line up with God's Word, then it's, you're in trouble. Because the devil, devil loves to masquerade as an angel of light. And what you think might be God speaking to you would really be the devil directing you. And how do you fight against that? It's God's Word. It's God's Word. There is no other truth, no other standard that, 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 that cuts us and pierces us and corrects us and forms us and shapes us. Like God's Word. And the way that we know God's Word, how do we know it? How do we know it? We read it. Well, I don't know, I just don't understand it. Then keep reading it. Keep re- I, guarantee, I guarantee as you continue to read God's Word, man, He will open up your eyes and your heart and He will speak to you in ways. You know, I grew up, I told you, I grew up on the King James. You think I understood that stuff? When I was 14 years old reading King James, I didn't even like to read. I'm not kidding you. I, was, I grabbed a book, and this was like in the third grade, and, and I went to this new school, I think it was Horse Man, and they said, all right, class, it's time to get our books and do some reading. You can get any book you want off the bookshelf. So I just meander over there, I grab a book off the bookshelf, and, and I just thumb through looking at the pictures, I promise you, just pictures, pictures, pictures. To me, that was reading. And I'm not kidding you. And I'm not being, I wasn't being defiant. I just was really ignorant in that. Like, I didn't like to read. And I'm like, surely these people aren't reading these books like this. Not this fast. Some of them are getting them done with them in a week. That's crazy. So, like, I just go and put it back and grab another book. And I remember my teacher pulling me to the side and said, Hey, Kent, are you reading these books? 
You know that YouTube video, the guy, you know, he's actually reading. It's like, yeah, I know, well, miss so-and-so. I'm not actually, I'm, I'm looking at the pictures. What do you mean? Reading, what is that? My point is like, man, I was not, I'm, even to this day, not an avid reader. And, I, and I, I like grew up on the King James and man, how God would speak to me through his word. And how God would pour into me through his word. And these times, whenever it's just, just me and him and his word and, you want to know God's word, just read it. Just read it. You want to know what's off in your life, why things are not going the way they should. Dive into God's word. He will, he will direct you. Because when we're off track, the Bible will correct us. Hebrews 4.12, and I'll close with this. And I believe it's Caitlin and Shelley. I'll close with this scripture and then an encouragement to, to, to apply this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is living and it's powerful. And it will... It will cut you in the most beautiful of ways. It'll cut the stuff off of your life that doesn't belong. It'll cut and make room for the things that do belong. And it's God's Word that does that. You want your life to be different. You want your life to really you know, be um, evolved in this Christian walk. Man, you're not going to get there without opening this book. You won't. You won't. You will not get there. And so my challenge to you is this. This is January 1st. Man, of all the resources available to us on, on reading the Bible, on, on your phone, you could just download an, an app. You could download the, the Bible app and you could, you could have that with you everywhere you go. We will buy you a Bible if you don't have one. And I'm not, it's not a joke. I, we really will. Kip said he would. <laughs> Don't you love God's word? Sure you would, right? He'll buy you the leather-bound, genuine cow. <laughs> Guys, we really... I really feel like this is... So I know that this is heavy on the teaching side. I know it's like really emphasizing the intellect in some ways, but may it engage with our spirits. Um, this is the way that God speaks to me to speak to the church. It's win, connect, train, send. It always falls into those four categories. And so whenever I know what kind of a season we're in, this is a season right now, in this day at least, of, uh, of training, training, training. And whatever God would be preparing us for, you know, it's, it's, it's in his word. That's where we find that. And, and, and what he wants to put in us, what he wants to disciple and cultivate in us, it's in his word. It's in his word. We can go through trials and we could get some wisdom and some different, but it's his word. There's nothing else that's like it. And so I challenge you, give yourself to reading through the Bible this year completely. Not a lot of people who, who call themselves Christians can say that they've read 
completely through the Bible, and that's okay. Guys, I was a preacher for years and never read through the Bible. I didn't care about it like that. And not that I didn't care about God's Word. I just never wanted to say I've read through His Word because the people that did say it got on my nerves. Well, this is my sixth time reading through. Yeah. Shut up! I don't like to read. Uh, give me a Bible with pictures and I'll be, I'll be, I'll be fine. <laughs> Shh. Shelly. <laughs> she said they make those. But, but that we would really give ourselves to this and whether that's, you know, like diving deep into, you know, the Bible study over at Kipps or, or diving um, into God's Word as in the chronological Bible. And I can show you the app. I'm probably going to send out a text later today with a link on that so you could click right to it. And if I forget, don't blame your lack of Bible reading on me. Just open it and read it. But, but find the schedule that, that fits you. You know, reading through the Bible in a year is about three chapters a day. Sometimes it's one chapter. Today's reading is just one chapter for me and the, and, the, and the one that I'm on. Tomorrow's is one chapter. And then they get you with like five chapters. And then it's like, what? Then you get to Psalm 119. And yeah, it's a lot. But you know what? I mean, it's worth it. It's worth it. I really believe that uh, God wants to marry the power of his spirit and, and, and uh, abiding us abiding in his word together so that we could be a force to be reckoned with. And I don't think the world has really seen that yet. You know, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I remember reading something one time or hearing it in a sermon or whatever, but the statistics of how many people in churches really read their Bible faithfully was really low. Now, I'm not saying that about this church, but I'm saying it, it is, it's super low. But then also, um, at that same time, I heard this, uh, where these people were talking about not being interested in reading the Bible, that they just couldn't get anything out of it, that it just seemed boring and kind of something that they just go through. And this person, I wish I could remember who it was, talked about how you have to fall in love with the author of the book before you can really get from the book what he wants for you to get from it. And I know sometimes that can be something that happens first before your salvation where you get born again and you and you fall in love with the Savior and then you start reading his word and devouring it. And that's the way it was for me. But over the years, I let that wane a little <clears throat> and I'm just being black and white clear up here. I talked to someone, and I'm not going to throw her under the rug with me, but she was saying she was having trouble keeping up with reading the Bible faithfully, and she wanted that to improve in her life. And I said, me, I'm right there with you. So her and I started something, and we hold ourselves accountable to each other. We're reading the same things, and every night, even Saturday and Sunday, we write to each other and say, I'm here. And if we have something to say about it or, you know. And then there was a time where both of us slipped for two or three days and we were beating ourselves up. And she said, why don't we just start here again? So, you know, and it's really helping the both of us to really 
get in there and read and read the word again. And it's not because we don't love the Savior or the author. It's just that life sometimes is so busy that that you just it kind of gets kicked under the carpet sometimes and we have to revive that and I know this morning I was thinking and I was asking God I was saying what would you say to us today and the word failure came to mind a failure that's not a good thing but you know what failure is you know when I popped my eyes open this morning I had 24 hours before this morning that I tried to fit every single thing I possibly could fit in for my family because they were here from Tennessee and I wore myself out but yet when I opened my eyes this morning the first thought that came to my mind is it's a new year now I want you to I want you to be honest with yourself okay be honest with yourself if you felt like I did and I felt like a big fat failure because a whole year went by and I didn't do what I was gonna do the plans that I had made that I was going to do or change or be different or, or, you know, whatever I had planned to do, I felt a failure. But then as soon as God spoke failure to me, he spoke this to me, fail forward. Okay, I read a book, John Maxwell wrote it, it's about business, but it was so good. And I took that book to heart and this, and this uh, idea to heart and it has been something that has helped me all along and I believe it's godly and that is whenever we feel that failure what what happens if we if we let the enemy overwhelm us with failure thoughts we just give up we slink down we don't stand tall in God like we're supposed to because we feel like a failure and we feel like everyone around us can see the failure they can't unless they're super close to us and we tell them. But you know what? Failing forward is something I believe that God wants to just instill in our hearts this morning. Fail forward. And Shelly, what does that mean? What that means is instead of letting the enemy overwhelm us with all the things that we did or didn't do this past year, take on this fail forward concept. When you've when he speaks failure to your heart, you say, uh-uh, not stopping there. Because my God is a God that I got a new, his mercies are new every morning. Every morning, guys. So that means the failures from yesterday, they're covered. Mercy's been in, given to us. So we fail forward. We pick up. We start again. And we might have to do that three or four, five, six, seven times a day to fail forward. But when we feel that failure overwhelm us, say, my God has put in my heart to fail forward. Get up. Start again. Don't wallow in that failure. Because what we can't be a strong army for God wallowing in failure. I don't even know if I said that right. Wallow. Forget it. You know what I mean. We can't be a strong army for God in that puddle of failure. Get up, kick that dirt off of us, kick that that wet that the enemy tried to put on us, kick that off of us and fail forward. Get up, start new. Mercies are new every day. I don't know if, if you have anything that you want prayer for. Today's a new day, your mercy's new. 
want you to come and we'll pray with you. If not, just, well, you can pray. If you're getting ready to come and pray, come and pray. But just pray that God will help us. Lord, just pray right now that you will help us, Lord, to fail like you've taught us to fail, and that's to fail forward. Lord, help us, God, to the things that are trying to come against us, the things that are telling us that we're not enough, that we're not, that we're not good, that we're never going to change, that the things that um, we are, you know, it might be something that you want to start, and you failed to start it. I've got a lot of those in my life, and they pile up and pile up and pile up. But God, I pray that you would help me to actually put my feet and my hands and my mouth and just to do it, just to stop wanting to do it, but just to do it. And God, I pray that for all my brothers and sisters, God, those things, those things that, that we've dreamed about, those things that we have wanted to do but feel like we don't have enough time or enough talent, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us. Lord, I know there's people in this place, God, that have told me that they have wanted to start something and I just speak that forward I speak it forward those things that you talked about those things that you said you wanted to do that this will be the year for them this will be the day this will be the month that we would do that and Lord I pray God that you will help us to just to feel that mercy that you've given us God to feel it to feel it embracing us and telling us that it's going to be okay and that, and that it's not in our ability that we do this thing it's in your ability and your strength and it's there and God I just give you the glory and the praise for it all in Jesus name anybody want prayer for anything